Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. We ask you to guide and lead us as we study. We thank you for, for your word. We ask you to be with those that are not feeling well and, and heal them and get them to be able to be back and, and with service and, and activities. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I think I'm going to start with uh, verse 29 of the previous chapter. And David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that he was told to him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way. There was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord has said unto you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my, unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. And David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose out of the cave and went to, on his way. All right, so we're going to look at this. In the previous chapter, Saul's been chasing David all over the place. And just about the time that he had David encircled, Saul got a message that the Philistines were attacking, so he had to take all the men that he was chasing David with and go defeat, uh, go defeat the Philistines. And we read that David had been encircled. He was worried because Saul had finally out, outmaneuvered him, and God delivered him with that message. And David went to En Gedi, which we showed you on the map, was over by the Dead, Dead Sea. Uh, and David's hiding out in that area. And so we start with chapter 24. And it came to pass when Saul returned from following after the Philistines that it was told to him that David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Saul had a lot of people willing to tell, tell him where David was. Because uh, everywhere David went, people, people told Saul where he was at. And it says, And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek after David and his men in the rocks of the wild goats. Does anybody remember how many men David has at this time from the previous chapter? 600, or about 600. So he's coming to him with five times the number of people that David has. And, uh, but in the previous chapter, he said he had called out all of Israel. So he called out the entire army to go after David because he didn't know exactly where it was. This time he knows where David's at. And he says, okay, we're only going to take 3,000 people I'm going to take the best men that I have, chosen men, the best men he has, to go get David with his 600. And remember, those 600 men that David have are not warriors. They're all the discontented people owe money, the people that are trying to hide out from the, from the government, basically. And they go to David, and that's who David has against a possibility of 3,000 choice soldiers. All right, so that sets our stage as we come here. And verse 3, and he came to the sheep coats by the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. So of all the caves in that area for Saul to go into, it's the one that David's hiding in. All right? 
uh, you know, you picture this. This would make you know this would make a, a movie plot that nobody would believe if they put it into a movie plot. And it says that Saul went in to cover his feet, and that's a euphemism for he had to go to the bathroom. Okay, so he leaves his men out of the cave. He goes into the cave. Nobody, you know, nobody was smart enough to go into the cave and make sure it was empty in the first place. And he goes in and is in a completely vulnerable position. Okay, he's not able to defend himself at this point. His pants are around his, or down below his knees and he is unable to take care of anything at this point. And probably has taken the whole tunic off. Because you know, I can't imagine trying to pull the tunic up, hold it, and use, do his business. I'm not sure I know what a sheep coat is. It's a protective area for the sheep. Uh, in a sheep hold, they built a, uh, a wall around it with a gate. In the sheep coat, it's just a protected area, and it probably had the cave as the protection for the sheep. Okay, uh, Sheep holds, sheep colts are pretty much the same, but sheep colts have a much larger definition to them than a sheep hold. All right. Uh, so David's men, of course, see this, you know, and say, okay, David, you're supposed to be king. There he is. He is totally vulnerable. This is the day that God has put him in your hands. And, you know, how hard is this going to be for David? Because King Saul's been chasing him all over Israel, chasing him for no reason. Remember, David is innocent. He has not tried to take Saul out. He's obeyed Saul's every command. He is not trying to kill Saul. And David does something that he's later on going to regret. He sneaks up to where Saul's cloak is at, and he cuts the corner of it off. Instead of killing Saul, he goes up and he just cuts the corner of Saul's garment. And he shrinks back into, the, into hiding. And again, we're going to delve into this a little more when David gives his answer. But David could kill him. And remember, David has been anointed king. Saul was anointed king first. David has been anointed king. And David is so patient that he's waiting for Saul to be taken out of the picture. And, you know, from everything you think of, you're anointed king, David. You could go out and battle Saul and take the, take the kingdom by force. But that wasn't God's plan. And it isn't. And we'll de delve into this more as we get in there. And it said in verse 5, And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And this literally is the innermost being of him. When it says heart, his heart smote him. And the smote means that he was convicted of what he had done wrong. He felt chastised. Now we go, well, what was the problem? Well, David is, says to his men, I can't touch God's anointed person. And this is a very big, important thing for us always to understand. If God puts somebody in a position of authority, we better be careful what we say or do toward that person because God put him there. And Saul no longer be belonged there. And it said that God had forsaken him, but God had not taken him out of that position. And we want to be very careful. This is in families. We want to be careful of you know, speaking against the father. We want to be careful speaking against a boss. We want to be careful against speaking to, against a pastor. Anybody or our government officials, anybody that God has put in place, we need to be very careful about 
what we say and do and, and how we act toward them. Because God has a reason for putting them in there. Now in the New Testament, we were told many places that they said we need to obey God rather than man. Okay, when they told them you don't speak about Jesus, they said, well, sorry, we got to obey God. God told us to speak. But as I've always said, what did they also do? They took the punishment for disobeying the government. You remember, they were beaten, they were, they were thrown into prisons, they were scourged, and they never said this is unfair. They just answered, we have to obey God rather than men. But that did not release them from the authority of the government. Even though the government was wrong in telling them not to preach, the government was wrong in battling against God, and they spoke against, they spoke up for God, they would take the punishment for having that disobedience. And that's something I always warn people. If you want to claim obedience to God rather than man, that's fine. But you better be ready for the other half of that and take the punishment. That means if you're, work, if you're at work and they're not letting you speak about God and you speak about God and you end up getting fired, well, that was the consequence for doing what you thought was right. And I'm not going to say whether it was right or wrong. I, I try to honor my boss because I'm being paid for them to work. But uh, if God, you really feel that God wants you to, to speak at work and you're going to get fired, don't go, well, I'm persecuted because I, well, yeah, you are, but you chose to, dis, to honor, disobey man. And there's going to come a time for us when it will be a situation where we have to make decisions. Are we going to obey God and share the gospel and head out forward, you know, forward with God or obey man? And we will take the punishment for disobeying man. Because God does not say, well, okay, they're giving you the wrong order, so therefore nothing they do matters. They're still the honored authority. And remember, when Paul said that we were to render, uh, honor, honor our government, the government he was talking about was Nero. Nero was persecuting Christians and killing Christians, and Paul's going, give him honor. It made no sense to them at that point, but God had put him in place. And here, David's saying, God put Saul in place. He hasn't taken him out yet. I cannot touch him. And the thing about this is, God does not hold us guiltless if we go against authority. And, you know, if we do it because they're in direct opposition to him, he will hold us guiltless, but he'll say they still have the right to punish us. And as strange as that may seem, there are those times when we come into different places where God's rules seem to be in conflict, and, and they're, yet they're not. Okay, If we obey God instead of our government, we're taking the higher choice, the better choice, but the government can still punish us for disobeying, and we'll get the reward for enduring that punishment. And if you're in a church where your pastor's going the wrong way, and I tell people, it used to be my big, before I got a church, that was my big message as I went around all the different places uh, as a pulpit supply, I would go, if the pastor's wrong, pray. If it's something so wrong that you can't put up with it, go to the pastor. And if you still can't get with it, go to another church. But don't attack your pastor to in, in, that, in that church or even out of the church because you just stay silent. It, uh, there was a church I left because I didn't like some of the stuff that was going behind the scene. I had one guy come up to me and goes, well, why'd you leave? I go, God led me away. He goes, well, you can tell me. I go, show me that in the Bible. <laughs> you know, show me in the Bible where I can tell you just because you're a friend why I left. I go, it's none of your business. It's between me and God. 
and I'm not going to attack anybody, you know, even from the outside, because it's up to God. And we've got to be able to hold on to this. David understood it's up to God to take Saul out of the picture. And, you know, and all he did, you know, and what really gets me is all he did, he didn't, didn't kill Saul like he could have. All he did was cut the corner of his, of his uh, tunic off, and he's feeling guilty of being, been doing that much to him. <laughs> huh? Do you think he cut off the part of the tunic to let Saul know that he was there? Well, we're going to see that's exactly what he did do it for. And I think that's why he did it even up front. But, even, but as I said, even that much of touching God's anointed smote him. And that was pretty, pretty easy going. You know, all I did was cut, you know, cut your garment instead of you, Saul. But even that, he says, I, did, I went too far. And this is something we need to be careful of because sometimes we think, well, I can say just a little bit. And, you know, maybe what we said is going to be good or bad or not, you know, not necessarily really bad. But how do people sometimes take what's said, you know, and expand upon it? And before long, you're the center of, you know, you said, well, I just don't like some of the things they're doing. And all of a sudden, you've, you know, they've added to it and you've started criticizing everything. And it's like, where did all that come from? It's much better just to stay silent and say something along the line, God, God has moved me on to something else or I don't like what I'm seeing, so I'm, I'm moving on or whatever it might be. Because David was smote but are doing something pretty insignificant. You know, damage the royal garment, but, you know, but fairly insignificant as far as we could look at it. And it turns out good, you know, that's God's promise. All things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. And we get to the end of this chapter, we'll see that it was good, just as you said. He used it to show Saul, hey, you were in my hand and I didn't take you. But even that little bit of moving forward bothered David which shows us how spiritual he is at, at this particular time in his life. And this is very true of us. How often do we let something small into our life? Well, you know, God, I, I know I'm supposed to watch what I, you know, be careful what I watch, but that TV show didn't have too many bad scenes in it. And I, and I, walked, out the, I walked out as soon as I saw them. <laughs> you know, I was watching a movie the other night. I didn't know that it had a scene. As soon as it came on, I go off with that movie. And it was a pretty good movie on there. I don't know how it ended. <laughs> You know, because it had, a, it had a scene in there that had no business being watched, no, no business even being in the story, as far as I could tell. And yet, you know, go, okay, well, off with that movie. You know, but what do we let ourselves get wrapped up in? We start out sometimes so small and say, well, it's just a small thing. It's really, you know, it's really not that big a problem. And then it feeds upon itself and it, and it, can, it can become a big problem really quick. And this is where David's at. Something so small. Just cut the corner of it off. And yet his heart smote him. And that's when he told his, told his men, you know, in verse 6, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. And David said, God needs to take him out. I'm not going to touch him. I'm not going to do anything. And I've been there. I've seen people who have attacked pastors and ended up having their whole life fall apart. I know one man who was attacking a very good man, a good pastor. Didn't do anything wrong that I had ever noticed. And the head deacon and I went to him and said, you know, you've got to stop doing this. He's not done anything worthy of you attacking him like this. And within a year... 
He got divorced. Two of his boys died. He got cancer. He lost his job. And I'm absolutely convinced it's because he didn't stop going after the pastor and didn't ask for forgiveness. You know, most people, well, it was all just coincidence. No, I don't think so. I think God said, you touched the anointed, and he got the punishment for it. And the sad thing with that is, especially as the head of a house, if we get judged, it's usually our family that suffers as much or more than we do. And this is the one thing about being somebody who's a leader. You know, we represent our family or, you know, or myself with a church or if you're the owner of a business. Oftentimes, the ones that get hurt are not just you. You know, your whole family gets hurt, as this man's case, or, you know, many other times in the Bible where we see families. David later on is going to have a major sin, and his family struggles because of it, and the whole nation struggles on, on another one of his sins. You know, he counts the people, and 30,000 people die because of his sin. You know, it is terrible to be a leader and make, make mistakes because God judges who we, who we lead as well with us. And if you're a good leader, it hurts you just to have them hurt. And this is what happened to David in that particular instance. And here he says, you know, hey, guys, we can't do this. I can't do this. I'm, I'm going to have to confess what I did, and we're going to see his confession later on. And then in verse 7 it says, And David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise up against Saul. But Saul rose up and out of the cave and went his way. So David had to refrain his 600 men, you know, to, you know, hey, we got, we got Saul. He's been chasing, because he's now been chasing not just David, but he's been chasing them all over Israel. And they want to get him. But David has enough control over his men to say, no, not going to do this. We're not going to go after Saul. And Saul walks away not even knowing how close he came to death and how he should have been killed at this point in time. All right, verse 8. David also rose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hear you men's words, saying, Behold, David seeks you hurt. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord hath delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And some bade me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against the Lord's anointed, for he is uh, against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see here the skirt of your robe in my hand, for I have cut it off the skirt of your robe and, and killed you not. Know you and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet those, yet you hunt my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and you, and the Lord revenge me of you, but my hand shall not be upon thee. As the Proverbs of the ancient, wickedness proceeds from, wicked, from the wicked, but the hand shall not be upon you. After whom the king of Israel has come out? After, uh, after whom do you pursue? A dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judged, be judged and judge between me and you and see and plead my case and deliver me from your hand. So David goes after Saul. And he says, King Saul. Now this, you really have to understand this. He's, gonna, he's going after Saul and he's bowing down. But think about this. He's got a cave to his back with 600 men. 
Out in front of the cave is 3,000 of the choice men of the war. This is a fairly brave thing that David's doing uh, to, to confess what he's done. Uh, because he's not, in a, he's not in a defensible position. If Saul all of a sudden doesn't take him and have pity on him or spare him, it's going to take a miracle from God <laughs> to deliver him from his position because he's not going to be able to keep the army away. Now, this is a pretty big thing. I, I've never really thought about this until just recently. It's almost, a, you know, from a military standpoint, it's a foolish thing to do. You know, hey, Saul, you know, King Saul, uh, look what I've, you know, look, you, you've missed me. Uh, but God's going to use it. He bows himself down and he says, he asks Saul a very interesting question. Wherefore do you listen to men's words saying, behold, David is out, seeks to hurt you. And I'm not sure who it was that's been telling Saul this. Uh, we do know that Saul seems to have some personality problems. He's all happy in one moment. The next moment, he's throwing a spear at David. He's doing the same thing with, to Jonathan. Uh, he appears to be somewhat, somewhat of a bipolar character, uh, you know, without being able to you know, diagnose more than what, what we see. But he is calm one moment, and the very next moment, he's in a rage. And here, David's bowed down and says to him, why are you listening to those that say I'm trying to hurt you? And remember, where did this all start? Was when they came back from a battle and the women were singing back and forth, Saul is slain his thousand and David is tens of thousands. And Saul got jealous and angry. You know, why are they, why are they ascribing him 10,000 and me only 1,000? What more could he have but the kingdom? And from that moment on, he's, everything David does looks wrong. And this is something that is very true. If we have the wrong attitude about something, everything is done, you know, uh, looks bad. If somebody's mad at you and you say hello to them, they're going, what do you mean by that? Well, I just said hello. <laughs> or have a nice day or whatever, and they just, they're ready to bite your head off because they're looking at everything you say and do through the wrong prism. Uh, you're out to get them. If you're out to get them, whatever you do or say, you know, you could be giving them the best gift in the world. They're going to go, why'd you do that? You know, they're not going to acknowledge that they've been given a gift. And this is where Saul's at. Everything David does, David sends him out to battle. David comes back victorious and he goes, oh, great, he's back. And he's even more, you know, uh, popular than he was before. You know, he doesn't, he's not happy that David won a battle for him. Uh, he's just upset that David's coming back and getting more popularity. And this happens over and over again. And David said, why are you listening to this? Why are you listening to this? He goes, and then he says in verse 10, Behold, this day see with your own eyes that you were delivered into my hands. And that's when he shows him, shows him the, the garment. And says, you know, hey, I could have killed you. you know, don't listen to all these lies about people saying I'm trying to hurt you. And this is going to touch going to touch, his, uh, touch Saul's heart. He's going to be able to see that, oh, David's not trying to har harm me and get, do away with me. And that's what he says, you know, behold, see your skirt of your robe, I cut it off of your robe and killed you not. You know, now know you and see that there is neither evil transgression in my hand 
and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt me. And basically saying, you've been chasing me. I have every right to attack you, and yet I'm still not going to attack. And you know, one of the wonderful things is sometimes when we just love people the way we're supposed to, the God says, it blows people's minds when we don't do what they would have done. All right. Uh, well, I've been attacking you and, you, and you had the greatest opportunity to strike back and you didn't do it. Sometimes that leads us to a conversation about God. I've had that happen many times in my life where somebody goes, well, man, you could have just torn me apart. You could have ripped me up against that person. I'm going, that's not who I am. I'm not going to do that to you. God is the one who seeks revenge on you. And the one thing I know is God will give revenge when it's time and when it's proper. If they won't repent, God will take it, take in revenge. And I've seen that happen on more than one occasion. Even in my own lifetime, I had somebody that mistreated me all the time. And about two years later, I had somebody come up to me, well, you know what happened to this, this boss of yours? I go, no, he lost everything. I go, it doesn't make me happy. You know, he had a family. It didn't make me happy that he lost everything because his family is now suffering. Did he deserve it? I don't know. I don't know if I was that important, but God, God did. You know, one of his children. God protects his children. And, you know, when people lose everything, I'm not, I don't take pride or pleasure when somebody's hurting, even if they deserve it. Because, you know, I know that God says, you know, you're doing it, hoping to get them to repent and everything, but I don't take that pleasure in it. It's not for me to take that pleasure. And I, wanna, I feel sorry for these people who get, yes, they deserve it, all these other things, but doesn't, it's not something for us as Christians to take pride in, you know, pleasure and pride in. <laughs> you finally got yours. I'm so glad. <laughs> you know, if we're taking that pleasure, and there's something wrong with us. And, you know, we should be ready, able then to reach out and say, is there anything I can do to help you? You know, what can we do to help you? And that's an important aspect on it. And it's basically what David's saying, you know, I, I, you know you've been hunting me, but I'm not going to do it. And so, so then he goes, let the ju Lord judge between us. And he, said, and he says one thing very interesting in verse 12, in the second half. And the Lord avenged me of you, but my hand shall not be upon you. David says, God will take the vengeance, but I am not going to reach out. And David didn't know if it was going to be that day, a year from now, 20 years from now. He did not know when God would revenge him. But he says, God will be the one that gives the revenge, but I'm not going to reach out. And this is something very important for us, to, to not try to keep attacking people. You know, one thing I have learned over the years is, you know, if you try to defend yourself, God will stand back and let you defend yourself. But every time I try to defend myself, I make a bigger mess out of it than it was to begin with. And now all of a sudden, because of my trying to defend myself, I give them ammunition to fire back at me with. Because you end up saying stuff that you regret having said because you're trying to defend yourself. And it gets used against you. And it's much easier just to sit back and say, God, I'm going to hide in you. You be my defender. And that's what he says all through Psalms. Hide in him. He's our shelter. He's our strong fortress. He's our mighty fortress. You know, and we're, we're told in the New Testament that we're in Christ. And so if we will just learn to stay quiet. And believe me, I know that's easier said than done. Okay. But that's why I say we learn to do it. And the more we learn to do it, the better we get at it. The more victory we see as, as God defends. And sometimes his defenses scare me. 
You know, when I've seen people be, you know, when God moves against them, I'm going, God, maybe I should have done it myself. You know, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been so bad to them. But by the same token, I also know that whatever God does again to them is exactly what they need to try to become to him. Okay, and that's something very important for us. God knows just how far to go. When he disciplines us, he knows just how far to go with us to get us to repent, and he goes no further. Now, if it's time that we're not going to repent, he may take us home, and he may do that to these people who aren't going to repent the, when they're under this uh, revenge. If he needs to, he'll take them home. But he will only do whatever has to be done to either take them completely out of the picture or get them to repent. And when you see people going through really hard times or when you go through a really hard time, you realize how really stiff-necked you are and how far God had to do to, how far God had to go to break your will. You know, I've had that happen many times where he's had to break my will and he's had to press so hard against me. And in one case, my family suffered really bad because of how hard my neck was. But God knew exactly how far to go to, to get that repentant heart out. And here David's saying, I'm putting you in God's hands. You know, whatever it's going to take, I'm putting you in God's hands. And, goes, and then, then I love this, uh, this proverb. He goes, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be upon you. And this is a proverb, he says, but really this is a true statement. And we've commented on this. When people do live a certain way, they expect everybody to be that way. Liars believe that all people lie. Thieves believe that all people th steal. Okay, uh, you know, it's just wickedness expects others to be that way, so then you get proactive. If they're going to lie to me, I'm going to lie to them first. And you justify, well, they were going to lie to me, so I, I lied to them. Or they were going to steal from me, so I stole from them. Or they were going to do, you know, put in whatever sin you want in there. Uh, and David says, you know, you're acting wickedly to me, but I am not going to raise my hand against you. And Saul was expecting, Dave, he, he was looking at it as, if I was in David's place, I would be trying to take the kingdom as I, because I'm popular. So he couldn't understand why David wasn't trying to take his place. And he didn't perceive that David wasn't taking it, trying to take his place. And so this is the proverb that he says, and, and then he goes, and, and, and who's the king of Israel after? <laughs> Who is it that you're pursuing? And then he goes, you know, some interesting statements. A dead dog. Yeah. David didn't have a high opinion of himself at this point. You know, he wasn't seeing himself as king. And then another interesting, after a flea. Yeah. Basically, David's saying, I'm saying insignificant, Saul. I'm not trying to take your place, you know. Who are you chasing after? A nobody. And this is something that is very important for us. Most people who do great things for God start out with a very low opinion of themselves. You know, I'm nobody, God. Why would you even use me? And they get in trouble if they lose that sense of humility and think they're something. And start entering into idolatry. Well, God, you know, Look at this, and you know, you might even say, God, look at this. We we built this up. We did this. We did this, and you know, God, I've just got to, I've got to keep it going. Well, as soon as you get to the point where you forget, God is the one that built it, and say, I'm the one that's important. You're in trouble. 
And many pastors get to this point where, you know, we start out with nothing and God builds a ministry and they recognize how good it is and all of a sudden they start getting in their mind that they have to keep it moving. I have to keep it running. I have to do things. I have to make sure these things happen. And, and God's saying, well, what happened to the us? What happened to the, to the person who needed me to build this? And David's saying, you know, I'm nobody. You know, I'm anointed, yes, but, but I'm a nobody until God promotes me. And then he goes, the Lord judge between you, me and you and deliver me out of your hand. The humility of David as he's talking to Saul. You know, there's a little bit of boldness there at the same time. You know, it's, it's Saul, you're, you're chasing after me and I, I have the right to defend myself. And he did. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He had the right to, to defend himself. He had the right to chase Saul all over Israel if he could have. Uh, but yet he's going, I'm not going to do this. I am going to just wait. Wait for the Lord. And then one of the hardest things to do is to wait for God. You know, we always want to get running, right? So, and then sometimes when we start waiting for God, we get to the place where when he starts moving, we don't want to get up and do anything. I've been in both sides of the coin. You know, running ahead of God and doing so much stuff that I shouldn't be doing. And then there was a time when God said, wait, and I started waiting and I kept waiting. <laughs> saying, okay, God, nope, don't want to do that, don't want to do that. And it's like, okay, there's a point where we need to be listening to God. Wait when he says wait, and go forward when he says go forward. And we need to be listening to, and I believe God tells us to go forward a lot more than he tells us to wait. But if we get too busy doing things our own way, God may just say, just sit still for a while. Sit still and quit doing so much. I've gotten caught up in that trap in my life where I was doing everything in the church. You know, lots of good things. But not so much what God wanted me to be doing. And one of the things I've said so often is we need to be careful because if you're filling a spot just because it needs to be filled in your mind, you may be preventing the person who's supposed to be in that slot from filling it because they look at it and said, well, I really thought I was supposed to be doing working with the kids, but somebody's there already. And that person said, well, I wish somebody would come up and start teaching these kids because I don't like teaching these kids. And, you know, because you're in that position, the person who was supposed to do it doesn't do it. We need to be careful about this. And it could be anything, you know, any number of things, the cleaning of the church, the yard, you know, landscape, whatever it might be. You know, if somebody who's not supposed to be doing it is doing it, it may keep the person who was supposed to be doing it from doing it. But by the same token, make sure you're listening to God. If he's telling you to do it, go do it. Because that's the most important thing. Stepping out with God. And listening to this small voice saying, do this, don't do this, you know, go this way, turn, you know, turn this way. And you know, it would be so wonderful if God would just sit on our shoulder with a megaphone in our ear and say, all right, take a right-hand turn here, say this, do this. Uh, you know, but that's not the way he works. <laughs> because he wants us to walk by faith. And sometimes faith is just taking a, taking a step. Taking a step and seeing what happens from it. And listening to God. If it's not the right step, he'll stop us. He'll say, nope, this isn't for you. And uh, just look to follow him. All right, verse 16. And it came to pass when David had made an end to the speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, is this the voice of my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. 
And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. You have showed this day that how that you have dealt well with me. For as much as when the Lord had delivered me into your hand, you, you killed me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward you, you good for that you have done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that you shall surely be king, that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that you will not cut off my seed after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men got up to the hold. <laughs> All right, so we look at this, Saul's response. You know, it's kind of amazing when Saul heard David's voice, he said, is this the voice of my son David? And, and Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And this really shows you the conflicted view that Saul has for David. He called David long before to be his musician, that when he was in a bad mood, that David would play and make him feel good. Then he really fell in love with David, killed Goliath, and then he brought him into his, into his house and gave him his daughter to marry, and then he started getting jealous. And once he got jealous, he stopped thinking of David in these kind terms most of the time. And he says here, David's voice just touched him. Whatever it was, the humility in his voice, the, the showing of the garment, whatever it was, broke Saul's heart. And he started weeping. And his weeping, though, was not weeping of forgiveness and confession. It was just, oh, I miss David. You know, he hasn't killed me, he could have killed me, and I miss David. But it wasn't a repentance from his heart. And this is something very important. Just because somebody's crying and whatever it might be, it doesn't mean that they're repenting. A lot of times they're just sorry they got caught. I used to ask my kids a lot, well, I'm sorry. Are you sorry you got caught or are you sorry for doing, doing it? And usually they would admit that they were sorry they got caught. And Saul is at this place. He's sorry that he got caught. And he says, David, you're more righteous than I have. You rewarded me good when all I've given you is evil. I've been chasing you all over. Remember the time he went to David's house and, and Michael told him that David was sick and couldn't leave his bed in. And he told his men, well, bring the whole bed if you have to. You know, I want David here now. And that was the kind of attitude he had toward David. I don't care what's wrong, just get him in front of my presence. And he's been chasing David all over the place and David has not tried to hurt him and showing that he is not, has no bad intention of him and then Saul gives him an, a little bit of a parable. If a man find his enemy, will he let him go? You know, that's a rhetorical question, but it's like, you know, obvious, you know, if you had your enemy in your grips to do whatever you want, you're not just going to let your enemy go if you're following the flesh. And that's what he's saying, you know. If, he's all of a sudden realized that from David's perspective, Saul is not his enemy. And it's starting to make sense to him. You know, if I was his enemy, he'd have killed me. I must not be his enemy. Even though I think he's my enemy, trying to take my throne, he must not be my enemy because he let me live. And it's kind of a convoluted way of thinking, but it all of a sudden made him think about that David is not an enemy. He's not out for my throne. He's not out to get me. And all of a sudden, something gets through that hard head of Saul's, and all of a sudden, he's realizing 
I've been mistreating David. I've been mis misreading him. Now we're going to find out this was a short-term repentance. It doesn't take him long to forget it, but he's going to be chasing David again later on. Uh, but for a period of time, he leaves David alone because, David, because he's really gotten to this place where David is not my enemy or David doesn't consider, or David doesn't consider me his enemy. I've been considering him my enemy, but he doesn't. You know, have you ever seen somebody that was really angry and figured somebody was their enemy and, they, and that person didn't ha have a anger toward them at all? I've seen it on occasions. You know, and it's kind of funny to watch these, this one person being nice, this other one being bitter no matter what. And it's like, I, I know you're mad at me. I don't know why or I don't care why, but you know, I'm just wanting to be nice. I want to love you with God's love. And, they, and all they want to do is strike and make your life miserable. This is what Saul is all of a sudden recognizing. David doesn't see me as an enemy. David's not treating me as an enemy. And he goes, uh, you know, what, what, what can happen here? And he goes, you know, you've done good to me. In verse 20, and now behold, I know well that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Right, apparently he's known this for a long time. All right, but now it's like, okay, I'm, for at least a few moments, Saul's admitting, okay, the kingdom's going to be yours. Okay, but remember, he's already said this to, to Jonathan. When Jonathan was friendly with David and said, you know, his seat's missing, he went out to, he goes, you perverse uh, son of a rebellious woman, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to give the kingdom away to this, <laughs> this uh, son of Jesse? and attacks him over it and has attacked him over and over again because he believes that David's trying to take the, the kingdom and now all of a sudden he's okay God you said you've taken it away from me this is the man that's going to have it and he recognizes David's going to have it and then verse 21 he says swear now unto me by the Lord that you will not cut off my seed after me and that you will not destroy my name the name of my father's house and this is the same thing Jonathan has asked. Remember, Jonathan on three occasions has already asked David, remember when you get your kingdom, be kind to my, to my family and don't destroy them. Because I, and as I've said, I believe that Jonathan understood that for him, for David to be king, at least Saul and all of his sons had to die. And I believe David, that Jonathan really understood that he was going to be taken out to make room for David. Because if Jonathan had been around, there would have been a civil war. Whether Jonathan wanted it or not, there would have been a civil war because there would have been people saying, this is, this is King Saul's son. He's supposed to be on the throne, not, not David the usurper. usurper. But by having the entire uh, Lion of Saul killed you know, in one day, opened up for David. And uh, they tried, you know, there was a man who tried to bring up one of the grandchildren of Saul to king, but that didn't work out either. And uh, David, David, of course, quickly agrees, you know, yes, I agree. I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking to steal your kingdom. I'm not looking to wipe your name off the face of the earth. And he said that, yes, he would protect King Saul. He had already told Jonathan three times, yes, I'm going to protect your, protect your family. And we're going to see when Saul and his family are wiped out that David asks a specific question. Is there anyone of Jonathan's house that I can bless. And they end up finding Meshivatheth, who's a lame son of 
Jonathan because he ended up breaking bones when they were trying to escape from the, you know, from the slaughter that was going on, and it broke his bones, and, and he got to live in the palace just because he was Jonathan's son. Because David said, I want to honor my pledge. And this is something that we want to be able to look at. David makes a promise. Even before he has anything to be able to promise, he, makes, he, fulfill, he says, I'm going to make this promise. And yes, I'm not going to kill your children, Saul. I'm not going to kill your, your sons, Jonathan. Matter of fact, I will bless them, for Jonathan's case. And Saul, he didn't make that blessing you know, on it. But for, for Jonathan, he says, yes, I will take care of your, I will take care of your children. I will take care of your descendants. And he follows through on that one. And uh, we look at this and it says that Saul went home, but David and his men went to the hold, went to a fortress. Uh, when Saul left, I think he honestly was deciding he wasn't going to chase Saul, uh, David anymore. He'd had, you know, David had proven his case. David, though, understands <laughs> Saul's not done. He understands because he's seen this already. Saul saying, being nice to him and the next moment throwing a spear at him. He's seen Saul, you know, doing things that he just couldn't believe. So I think he ran up to the, he says, all right, Saul, you, you go ahead and go home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still hide out in these caves over here. I'm still going to stay in the fortified cities because you're going to change your mind. And this is something that is very understandable. When we try to get rid of sin in our own strength, we may be victorious for even a long time. But eventually that sin pops up again if it's not been crucified. If our flesh isn't crucified, that sin will come back because we can only do so much in the flesh. And David understood this. Saul has been jealous. Saul has been chasing me all over the kingdom come here. He goes, Saul will eventually want to come after me again. And so he says, I'm not going back to Bethlehem. I'm not going back to, to where I can be easily taken. I'm going to stay here where it's defensible until God has fulfilled the end. And we need to understand that when we're trying to get something out of our life of sin, we need it crucified. We need to let God crucify it and have it stay buried. Because that's the only way we get true victory over sin is when God comes in and crucifies it. If we sit there and try to beat it into submission with a whip and a chain and a chair or whatever, eventually it will get out of control. And usually, it comes back with a vengeance. People who give up drugs and alcohol you know, on their own, occasionally they get by for a long time, but it's so easy for them to slip back in. I know a man who gave up uh, alcohol for 30 years and then started drinking again. You know, why? Well, I think it's because we stop putting a guard on our heart on things that we think are beyond temptation to us anymore. And I think I've seen this over and over. We see all kinds of evangelists and pastors who get into an affair. And I know that they didn't ever plan on having an affair. If you'd asked them when they first started, that, you know, do you love your wife? Oh, yeah, I love my wife immensely. I, I would never have an affair. And they, seek to, they cease to put guards upon that part of their life. And the next thing you know, they've fallen into someplace. And we have to be very careful. If you ever hear yourself saying, I would never do something, beware. Because <laughs> that's exactly where Satan's going to get you tripped up at. 
because you're not going to put the guards on your heart the way you need to in that area because you go, I'll never do that. You know, I'm pretty close to never wanting to have a drink. But you know what? Under the right circumstances, the right activities, it might happen. I've never had it in the past, but I have a father who was an alcoholic. I have a grandfather who was an alcoholic, a great-grandfather who was an alcoholic. It could very easily trip me up. So I put a guard on my heart saying, no, I can't, I can't picture myself ever doing that, but God, we're not going to let it happen. Don't let it happen. You know, but we know I want to be very careful. Anytime we think there's something in there that would never fall for, we better be careful because that's usually the very place Satan will get us. Whatever we think our strength is, we don't put a guard on and Satan gets in the, in the back door on us and, and we end up falling in that area more often than not. Because usually if we've given up something, oh God, you know, thank you for getting rid of my alcohol. You know, and that's our testimony. We usually will stay away from it because we know that we have a proclivity toward that, that sin and we put the guards in there. You know, God, I don't want this to happen. Don't, we're not going to let this happen. We almost always will fall on our strength. God, never would I do that. You know, what did Peter say? I'll never deny you. And you know what? He meant it when he said it. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's never going to deny Jesus. He chops the ear off of Malchus. I'm sure he was aiming for the head, but all he did was chop the ear off. But you know, he's ready to die for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then a couple hours later, he's denying that he knows Jesus. Okay, you know, we need to be careful. Our very strength is usually the place where we're going to fall. So we want to be careful to say, God, help me put a guard on all parts of my life so that I don't fall. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, show us how to honor authority in the way that you would want us to honor it. Help us to be careful with our words. Help us to guard our hearts in all, of, in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.